the tricky thing is that we sort of have to go against our gut reaction here because as humans, our tendency is always to lean on the mind and our thinking self. And yet the mind can only take us so far. It's limited by its own three-dimensional capacities, essentially. The heart, however, offers us an access point to the higher self and connects us with that steady, assuring, higher-dimensional wisdom. Hello and welcome. A quick note before we get to today's episode, if you like what you hear and you have time to leave a review on iTunes, I would be so, so grateful. If you do this before this Friday, April 15th, you'll be automatically entered to win an inner balance sensor from HeartMath Institute. I'll be discussing this sensor and some of its amazing capabilities later in this episode as it relates to the higher self and accessing its wisdom. So be sure to continue listening if you're interested in that. All right, now let's get to it. Today, we're talking about the ego's counterpart, the higher self. The higher self is often used interchangeably with the word soul, but no matter the label, they both point back to the same thing, which is really this divine essence or truest self. It's the awareness or energetic consciousness that fuels life itself, essentially. Today, we'll get into the specifics of it, and then we'll also cover multiple ways to facilitate our connection with its wisdom, some spiritual, and then one that is psychophysiological with a bit of evidence-based backing. So what is the higher self? The higher self or soul can be seen as the counterpart to the ego or lower self, which we discussed in the last episode. The higher self is not better than the lower self or ego. It's merely an aspect of the whole. Of course, the only way to describe the higher self in this physical reality is through the perceptions of the ego, and so we do our best to describe it by noting what it is and clarifying what it's not. To get a better understanding of what the higher self is, I'm going to just briefly compare it to the lower self just to give us some reference points. The lower self is concerned with keeping us safe, experiencing this physical three-dimensional reality that surrounds us and assisting us as we navigate being a human being here on Earth. In other words, it's very focused here in the third dimension or third density. The higher self, on the other hand, offers a sort of multidimensional perspective and keeps this vast, all-encompassing vantage point in mind whenever it offers us its wisdom. So it's anchored to higher dimensions as opposed to only being here in the third dimension, if that makes sense. Dimensions or densities is a topic that is entirely deserving of its own episode, and so I will get into that at some point down the road. But let's get back to the here and now. So the lower self is noisy and rather chaotic, and then the higher self is more open, spacious, and steady. Both aspects of self are equally important. They're just entirely different. So ideally, what we want to do is work to intertwine both aspects so that we can leverage the power of the lower self or ego in a way that's guided by the wisdom of the higher self or soul. Because again, if you reference back to the last episode, the ego, when sort of filtered through, tamed, matured, however you want to phrase it, helps us bring forth our creations, our purpose into the world. And so we can use it in conjunction with the wisdom of the higher self to do that in a way that has the most impact, power, and is also the least destructive and judgmental. 
All right, let's get into some additional characteristics of the higher self. The higher self is the aspect of you with limitless potential. It's pure consciousness, essentially, and it's the awareness behind your thoughts. It's proactive as compared to the ego, which tends to be reactive. And the higher self is fully integrated and offers this sort of universal perspective that takes into account your multidimensionality, meaning it sees the bigger picture and is graceful in its perspectives because of this vantage point, which is incredibly vast. The higher self tends to be possibility-oriented in its thinking versus the more limitation-oriented thinking of the ego. And to be fair, really, it isn't so much a thinking entity as much as it is a feeling and knowing entity. So it concerns itself less with thinking. It actually doesn't think. And it is more about this knowing. It's also non-judgmental and all-accepting. And it's neutral in its perspectives compared to the ego, which is more black and white in the way that it thinks about things. It takes a very neutral stance because it sees the benefit in all potentials. So essentially, if you were to ask for its wisdom on something or to ask about a certain circumstance that maybe the ego or the thinking mind perceived as negative, it would see the lesson or the wisdom in that experience. And it's not that it tries to make everything positive, but more so that it appreciates all aspects of reality because of the opportunity and the growth potential that is provided by moving through those experiences. A simple way to sort of say this is that the higher self really embraces the oneness as opposed to dualism. So in other words, it sees the purpose in both light and dark, good and evil, whereas the ego or thinking mind tends to only see the purpose in those experiences which keep it comfortable or sustain its current perspective of itself. So let's explore some of the benefits of connecting to the higher self. A lot of this is probably fairly obvious as we've run through the characteristics. I'm sure you can gather what some of these benefits might be. But let's talk more specifically about some of the ways that we can leverage this wisdom. So I want to clarify, too, that with the intention to do so, we're all capable of developing a clear channel of communication with the higher self or with our individual higher self. And there are nearly limitless benefits to doing so, but for the sake of time, we're just going to go over a few of those here. One benefit is that we're able to gain loving insights and guidance into which actions or next steps are in our highest and best good. So synchronicities and divine guidance sort of unfold before us with almost this magical serendipity. And this can be particularly beneficial when we're struggling to find our footing in a season of life or a moment in time. As we develop this connection to our higher self, we also naturally experience more joy, purpose, and connection. It doesn't mean that it's always going to be perfectly joyful when we're connected to our higher self, but there's this sort of steady sense of contentment and understanding that serves as a foundation upon which everything else sort of builds, if that makes sense. And because of this, we begin to appreciate challenges for the lessons that they teach us and the opportunities for growth that they provide. Rather than resisting them, we sort of embrace them, even through the difficulty. It's not like we're saying, oh, I'm totally fine, and we're completely dismissing or bypassing our feelings. We're really integrating what occurs in our life in a way that extracts the full meaning and full potential for growth from those opportunities. With a strong connection to the higher self, we're also more easily able to uncover our purpose. The ego does do this as well, or it tries to, but unfortunately can often misguide or misdirect us down paths that are rather impressive on paper or when we talk about them with other people. 
And yet they're entirely unfulfilling to our soul. So maybe we find ourselves pursuing a certain high-ranking degree or a C-level position in a company or some job that offers quite the monetary reward but is entirely unfulfilling to our soul and to what we want to be doing. And so we find ourselves sort of going through the motions of all of these things and wondering why we aren't actually fulfilled by them. And it's because we were guided to them by the mind, which is more concerned with sort of the ranks and identities than it is with true fulfillment. There's nothing wrong with that. And I guarantee every one of us has done this at one point or another or has done it time and time again. I know I certainly have. But when we lean into the wisdom of the higher self or soul, we tend to be guided much more fluidly and easily into what is genuinely bringing forth our purpose and in a way that is very fulfilling and meaningful. Compared to the ego, the higher self reveals the path to our purpose in a very gentle way. It sort of encourages us forward through synchronicities and signs, asking us to take one step forward at a time rather than rushing or charging ahead. It also reminds us that the only person we should be comparing ourselves to is the person we were the day before. And so it's very focused on looking ahead and not looking around or side to side. Beyond these benefits of connecting with the higher self, something that can happen when we're constantly ignoring the guidance of our higher self is that we tend to end up feeling sort of misaligned, disconnected, out of sorts, sapped of inspiration, and maybe even pinched off from life. And this isn't because we're being punished, but because we found ourselves so focused in three-dimensional reality that we've really neglected this multidimensional aspect of ourself, which is our other half. It's part of our whole. And if we're only focusing on the one part of ourselves that's here and completely neglecting this other part, we end up feeling kind of out of touch with ourselves. And so we end up feeling limited and confined to this 3D reality as opposed to embracing a deeper meaning behind the life we're living. Now that we've talked about benefits, you might be wondering how in the world you go about connecting with your higher self. There are many, many ways to develop a deeper connection with the wisdom of the higher self, but I'll cover a few of my favorites here. And of course, and as always, take what resonates with you and go ahead and leave what doesn't. So we're going to start with the more spiritually based methods, and then we will move on to a more specific science-backed approach as well. One guiding principle that I want you to keep in mind as we talk about these different methods is that we're essentially using three-dimensional equipment, which is the body and the mind, to access an aspect of ourselves that inhabits the higher dimensions. So because of this, there is initially this sort of block that we need to move through in order to be able to access that wisdom of our higher self. This can be a little bit tricky to explain or to grasp, but a real-life example that I like to compare this to would be the fact that there are radio signals all around us at all times, but we don't have the innate equipment within our bodies to pick up on those signals. Of course, if we grab a physical radio and tune it, we'll find a station or many stations, right? But the range of stations we can pick up on and the clarity with which they come through, even with a radio in hand, all depend on the strength of that radio or the antenna itself. I hope this makes sense. The tricky thing is that we sort of have to go against our gut reaction here, because as humans, our tendency is always to lean on the mind and our thinking self. And yet the mind can only take us so far. It's limited by its own three-dimensional capacities, essentially. The heart, however, offers us an access point to the higher self and connects us with that steady, assuring, higher-dimensional wisdom. So it's through the heart that we really want to work to access the higher self. 
In other words, we can't think our way to connecting with the higher self. We really have to feel our way through it by opening our heart. We also can't rush the process. This is a slow, heart-opening process that needs to be built on a foundation of trust. And we sort of have to scooch the mind out of the way because the mind is going to want to try and either just play naysayer and tell us that this is impossible or it wants to get in the way and spew its own perspectives about whatever it is that we're inquiring about. So we really want to sort of soften that thinking mind as we work to move through the heart and open that channel of communication. Something that's also important to note here is that the universal law of free will prohibits the higher self from interacting with us until we call upon it to do so. There are, of course, some exceptions to this rule, but it holds true for the most part. For this reason, I recommend that to start, you ask out loud, higher self, will you assist me? I welcome your wisdom and guidance with an open heart or something along those lines, but just be sure to address higher self specifically. And once we've begun to open this line of communication, we can use more tangible methods to draw out its wisdom. So let's take a look at some of those methods now. The first one I want to mention is what's called automatic writing or intuitive writing. I won't go into the specifics of how to do this now, but check the show notes because I'll drop a link to a blog post tutorial on how to do it. Another method is dream journaling. So perhaps you've done this before, but you keep a journal by your bedside or a notes folder on your computer or phone, and you document your dreams each morning. So once you get going with this and sort of develop a steady series of documentation, you can start to look for patterns or themes that seem to be offering you insights or guidance. Don't take anything too literally, unless it seems very literal, of course. Um, But you can start to see that perhaps your higher self is communicating with you through themes in your dream state. Of the methods that I just mentioned, the one that I started with was intuitive writing. I started doing that, I don't even know, almost 10 years ago at this point and found so much benefit from it. But more recently, I came across a method from a spiritual teacher named Maureen St. Germain. Her books are fantastic. If you've never read them before, definitely be sure to check them out. And I'll link to the one that I'm referring to in the show notes. But her process is wonderful for those who are just starting to do this. And I wish I would have known about it when I first started trying to open this channel of communication because it really relies on building a foundation of trust through a very specific method or process to starting to communicate. I'll briefly outline the method here. All credit is due to her. And then also be sure to take a look at her books if you're interested in learning more about this. So the first step in her process is to clear your mind, close your eyes, and ask your higher self to identify a symbol for yes, a symbol for no, and a symbol for neutral. So you can literally say out loud, higher self, show me a symbol for yes, and then so on. So whatever flashes in your mind is your higher self's symbol for you for yes, no, neutral. Not everyone is visual, and so you might not receive visual symbols. So if you're not getting a visual symbol in your mind's eye when asking, then pay attention to any internal feelings or bodily sensations instead. Of course, sometimes the mind is simply just getting in the way and blocking our ability to receive these symbols or sensations. So if that's the case, then just take a break and try again at a later time. Once your higher self has established those symbols or sensations, you can then start to ask yes or no questions. But there is a key rule to this. Only ask yes or no questions that have absolutely no consequence to you, meaning they don't matter at all. 
So in other words, don't ask important questions. Ask questions for which you truly don't care about the answer, because this will ensure your mind stays out of the equation. If you start asking things that you genuinely care about, then the mind is just going to jump in and tell you all of its thoughts and not let you actually hear from your higher self. When you ask these questions, you must address the higher self specifically. That's important. So for example, you could say, higher self, is it in my highest and best good too? Dot, dot, dot. And then insert your very unimportant question there. So the last rule for this method is that whatever answer you receive, follow through on it, because this confirms to your higher self and to your mind as well that you trust the answers you're receiving. This is why it's so important to ask questions that are of no consequence in the beginning, because if you start asking important questions before you've established a solid, enduring, and trusting connection to your higher self, then your ego or mind will just begin to participate in answering them. And as you might have guessed, the ego speaks a lot louder than the higher self because it's based in three-dimensional reality. However, the ego will stay quiet, silent, or completely uncaring about what we're asking if we're asking things of no importance to it. Maureen suggests committing to this practice day in and day out throughout each day for at least six weeks to develop an open channel of communication with the higher self. Her idea here is to build this foundation of trust with the wisdom that's coming through from the higher self, because from there, once you've established that trust, you can then begin to ask for guidance on more important topics. But even as you do that, you'll just want to stay away from asking for your higher self to make decisions on bigger matters of life, because that will eventually involve the ego too. It will just get in the way. So rather, you want to ask for insights and wisdom and see what unfolds. And as you begin to inquire about more important topics, once you've established that baseline foundational trust, I found that it helps to move away from those yes-no questions and into a more open-ended style of questioning. In my personal experience, the messages from the higher self are sort of like these breadcrumbs or puzzle pieces. They're small, gentle nudges guiding us forward that often don't make a whole lot of sense on their own. And yet, when they're pieced together with the wisdom of hindsight, the divine manner in which the path was revealed for us is truly miraculous. It's, it's magical in so many ways. To summarize this, the more you trust and take action on the messages you receive, the more clearly you'll be guided. This is because the higher self responds to our trust. And so when we trust in the messages we're receiving, it will offer us more and more guidance as to whether or not we're on the right path or the path that's in our highest and best good at any given moment in time. And this brings up an important distinction, too, which is this fact that what is in our highest and best good at any given moment in time is different than what the ego is most comfortable with at any given moment in time. And that's why accessing this sort of wisdom of the higher self is so beneficial, because it is very difficult for our mind to see the purpose or the goodness or benefit in situations that are difficult for us. But I'm sure every one of us could look back on a situation in which we initially thought we were in the midst of some sort of crisis that would negatively affect our life. And then looking back on it with hindsight, it was actually the most perfect, divinely guided moment because it brought us someplace else that was better for us and for our greater evolution. Now that we've covered spiritual methods to connect with the higher self, I'd like to discuss a hypothesized method that has a more scientifically backed origin, and it's that we can use heart-coherent states to open a connection to the higher self. Perhaps you're already familiar with heart-brain coherence, but if not, I'll just briefly explain what it is, but definitely look into this on your own as well. It's truly fascinating. 
So scientists have discovered that the signals that the heart continuously sends to the brain influence the functioning of the higher brain centers involved in perception, cognition, and emotional processing, meaning that what comes from the heart actually influences the brain, and likewise, what comes from the brain influences the heart. So research on heart coherence has also found that negative emotions like anger, hatred, and frustration produce an incoherent heart signal that's erratic and disordered. You can actually measure this and see this. Positive emotions, on the other hand, emotions like gratitude, love, appreciation, produce a beautifully coherent signal or frequency within the heart that is then returned to the brain and helps it think more clearly, function more clearly, and has all sorts of benefits on how we actually think. So coherent signals facilitate cognitive function and reinforce positive feelings and emotional stability within the brain, which then, of course, cycle back to the heart and back up to the brain. So it really creates this beautiful feedback loop. What I'm about to say is a little long-winded, but just bear with me here for a moment. So the coherence hypothesis suggests that the coherent flow of information within and between physiological systems and processes in the central and autonomic nervous systems and the body— play an important role in determining the quality of the feelings and emotions we experience. So what in the world does all of this mean? Because I feel like that was probably a little bit much to take in. So it means that the heart is actually a sensory organ and a sophisticated center for receiving and processing information. The nervous system within the heart, which is otherwise known as the heart brain, enables it to learn, remember, and make functional decisions independent of the brain's cerebral cortex. Another interesting thing is that the leading edge of research in this area is even beginning to suggest that our individual heart coherence affects those around us, and also that there is an observable interconnectedness between humanity, plants and animals, the sun, and even the Earth's magnetic activity. If you're interested in this, be sure to take a look at HeartMath Institute's recent research on global coherence. So what's most relevant, though, to our discussion today is that research on heart coherence has shown that physiologically coherent states are associated with not only improved cognitive, emotional, performance, and health-related outcomes, but that they also elicit subjective improvements in spiritual experiences and a connection to the higher self or soul. According to Doc Childry, who's a co-founder of the HeartMath Institute, when we're not living from the heart, the incoherent physiological state that results represses the spirit and heart energy that supply our joy, our well-being, and our access to our heart's intuition. Research from HeartMath Institute suggests that we can boost this intuitive connection, resilience, and emotional balance simply by coming into a state of heart coherence a few times each day. So there's something that they developed called the heart lock-in technique, and it's a simple but effective method that was developed for establishing heart coherence. Again, you can read more about this on heartmathinstitute.org. But here are the steps. The first step is to focus your attention in the area of the heart. For me personally, I find that it helps to close my eyes to block out other sensory input, but a lot of people leave their eyes open, so you can really choose whatever best serves you. I also like to place my hands gently over my heart as I do this to really draw my attention and focus to that heart space. So you're going to imagine your breath is flowing in and out of your heart or chest area. You're breathing slightly slower and deeper than you normally would, but at a very even pace, meaning your inhales and your exhales are even. Once you've established that and you've got your breath going, then you want to activate and sustain a regenerative feeling such as appreciation, love, gratitude, or so on. I find it helps to think about a memory or moment that is highly charged with positive emotions for me. 
So you want to really feel this emotion emanating from your heart. And then the third step is to radiate that renewing feeling from your heart center out to others and also inward towards yourself. So sort of projecting that feeling out in both directions or all directions, really. And that is it. So what is so neat about this, and as I mentioned when I was talking about the giveaway, is that HeartMath has developed a sensor. You gently clip it onto your earlobe and plug it into your phone, and it will monitor your heart coherence as it's connected to you. It will tell you whether you're in a high state of coherence, medium, or low. And it's so fascinating because I use this tool myself. And when I use it, I find that I'll be thinking, you know, just really focused on sending that regenerative feeling of love or appreciation or gratitude, whatever it might be, out into the world. And then, of course, the mind will creep in with, you know, oh, that nightmare you had last night or, oh, no, you forgot to do this or that or the other. And as I reflect back on the data, because it tracks all of your data and you can see at different points in time where your heart coherence was. I will often drop into either a medium state of coherence or even once in a while a low state of coherence. I had a really bad dream a few weeks ago and I started thinking about it and my heart dipped into this very incoherent state in that moment. That real-time feedback that is truly based in what you're physically experiencing in your body at that moment is just so fascinating. And it's so interesting to be able to see that unfold. I always like to clarify because my mind sort of comes at everything from all directions too, but this practice is not to be used to bypass difficult emotions or to repress them in any way, but rather as a support tool or a general practice to bolster your overall well-being as well as to facilitate connection to the higher self. I'll link to a few really remarkable graphs that show how this simple practice affects heart coherence. So be sure to check the show notes if you're interested in seeing those. I always like to see the evidence with my own eyes. And that about covers it for today. I hope you found this episode to be insightful and practical as well. As always, take what resonates out into the world with you today and leave behind what doesn't. Thanks for being here, sweet soul. In the next episode, we're talking about outrage as entertainment. If you want to gain greater understanding into why we're drawn to moral outrage, be sure to tune in. We'll be taking a very in-depth approach to this one and diving deep into the research from the realms of social psychology, kinesiology, neurobiology, and ethics. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, remember to subscribe to The Soul Horizon on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you enjoy listening, and leave a review if you have a moment, too. Your reviews help get more ears on this podcast and are so, so appreciated. Read and learn more at ashleymalillo.com or follow along on Instagram. 